0: Hello and welcome to episode 47 of Match It and the Other Guy. Kevin and I are sitting outside my home on the banks of Lake Wiley in Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: Kevin, how are you today? I'm very well. How about you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Yes, we'll give our our usual weather report. Things are starting to change. (laughs) (laughs) We're starting to have some crisper mornings, which is good. We're very much looking forward to that. So it's It's pretty nice out on the porch today.
0: It's beautiful. A little overcast. All of a sudden, three or four days ago, the humidity just dissipated. I never know what we're going to be talking about, Kevin. Our gentle listener never knows what we're going to be talking about.
1: Uh, But you hopefully do. So Kia's all in. What are we talking about today? Once again, we've got a suggestion from some listeners. Uh, Jake and Sarah wrote in and said they'd like to hear more about our dads since we kind of pepper in some oh stories here and there that involve them. So they said, said, how about an episode uh, talking about growing up with, with our dads? Yeah. Yes, wow, yeah,
0: okay. Gosh, I haven't talked about my dad in a conversation for I can't remember how, how many years. Yes, it would be fun. All right, well, start us off then. Tell us a little, tell us a little about your dad.
1: Uh, well, the fact that he he was my dad kind of came as a surprise. I was one of those late-in-life kind of, uh, oh, looky there, <laughs> kind of things. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, my uh, sister was about oh, 17, and my parents uh, had me when Dad was about 50 and Mom 45. Okay. So I was kind of a late-in-life change to, uh, for their paradigm. Uh, quite so, the surprise. Quite the surprise. Yes. And so. so
0: 17 years between your sister and you. Yes. Yeah. Okay, wow. Yeah.
1: And, not, and none in between, so it's just the two of us. Yeah. But so you really, if you think, I think about it, it's like going up two only children. Because by the time, you know, one's really kind of leaving the house, heading off to college, usher in's the second era. Yeah. So. I like to say i kept my uh, parents young but there may be other other uh, thoughts on that
0: (laughs) yes well you certainly kept
1: them occupied that all children
0: do that yes i
1: definitely uh changed the the probably the plans once she was going to be empty nesting them so yeah
0: well i i share a a similar story to that i i was the uh the last child uh from mum and dad um and I was born in 1962. My dad was born in 1929, if memory serves. Uh, but I think I was an unexpected treasure,
1: treasure right. pleasure,
0: and surprise
1: to them. I don't know. To choose the words that fit, I'm not sure. Separated, actually, by just 10. My dad was born in 1919. So there's only uh, a decade separating yeah. the birth of our parents. Or Bad side anyway. And
0: I know we always talk about time and the passage of time and the meaning of time to life but just what you've described there your dad was born in 1919 19- 19, 19. Mm-hmm. yeah so that's now it's an obvious thing to say but now over a hundred years so to say that you had a direct family connection to a chap that was born over a hundred years
1: ago to me is that alone is fascinating to me yeah it's a, kind of a blink of an eye, and when you think about you know, really when he was it, fifty and I came along, so. Yes, I mean,
0: as you know, I've written a short story about a, a chap that I knew as a as a kid, Mister Goodman, who fought in the trenches of the First World War, and he was eighty when he relayed his accounts of trench warfare to me, and I was ten, so, and I always that that one particular conversation always stands out in my memory because. I'm a I'm a fan of histories, you know, particularly of the First World War and the Second World War. But I'm I'm I've to this day feel so unbelievably privileged that I managed to have a conversation with a man that fought in that war, and could relay his experiences to me firsthand. And. And here we are, well over a hundred years after
1: that conflict. I just think I think that's a great thing. Yes, definitely. And and speaking of that, I mean, we're we're losing that World War II generation. Yes. Very rapidly at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my dad was actually you know prime age uh, around that time because you got to think he was in his early twenties. Yeah. But he had uh, studied to become a mechanical engineer, and okay. his efforts already working in the mechanical engineering field were far more important to the war effort than. To bring him into the military. Yeah. So he worked on a lot of systems during that time stateside that helped the effort. In fact, I know one for a fact um, he did. Uh, he created an oil cooler for the P40 Warhawk
0: oh, wow. fighter
1: planes that helped him, you know, at high altitudes or such like. He told I'd heard him mention it occasionally. Yeah. But um, actually, uh, fairly recently, came across this little eight x ten photograph in black and white of the. The piece yeah. that he had taken, and next yeah. to another another piece that he worked on, and on the back is his. Uh, I can tell it's his his writing. I can definitely yeah. tell that, yeah. Yeah, saying what it was and and what uh, it was used how for.
0: Fascinating.
1: Yeah. So very cool. So he uh, he was very much you know, in that wartime, and, and of course you know being in your 20s, it's you know, had lots of stories and, and tales I'm sure of that era. But yeah. no, all his were were stateside and kind of you know seeing it from being here. But uh, also, you know, during the uh, that wartime, my parents met and got married on D-Day. Wow. So the actual, you know, they had already attacked and, and done all the uh, Operation Overlord yeah. uh, okay. things at, at dawn. Yeah. And uh, many, many hours later, <laughs> they were getting dressed for a wedding. That's so. remarkable. Yeah. It's fascinating how these stories, I mean, Jake and Sarah
0: suggesting, hey, Tell us a little about your dad. I never knew anything about your dad. We, we've never really got into great conversations about him. The fact, the little stories you've given me now are, are, are thrilling stuff. My dad, you know, again, born in 1929, so realistically too young to have fought in the Second World War, and I have no stories of, of that at all. But one of my dad's best friends, I would say his definite best friend, was a chap called Mr. Tivy, Ron Tivy, And Ron Tibby, um, used to often recount his memories of the Second World War. And he, one of his stories that sticks with me was the account of him and his colleagues, soldiers, brothers in arms, uh, being in Italy, which I'm gonna guess was 43, 43 to 44, but moving from the south through Sicily up north through Italy pushing the German forces back over towards Germany. And his accounts of being in Monza at night and just seeing the city absolutely alight and burning with artillery fire and allied bombing, uh, that, that Monza was aflame. And, of course, with my history of working in Formula One and any enthusiasts of motor racing will know Monza from the Italian Grand Prix Absolutely. and so I can remember uh, my first trip to Monza thinking of Ron Tibby's stories and what a different encounter it was for me to be in Monza and in 95 being so fortunate to have built the car that won that Grand Prix so that's my wonderful personal memory of being in Monza was winning, building the car that won the Grand Prix with Johnny Herbert driving the car uh, and what a contrast between that and my dad's friend Ron Tivy's accounts of seeing the city absolutely aflame and burning during the Second World War.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, your your dad would have probably been 12, yeah, 12, 13, you know, yes, in those years, you know, of it, and which was quite a different experience, I'm sure, being in England than it yes. was stateside, being and kind of right there were things, air raid sirens and yes the, although we like were
0: right in the country we we're right in the middle of the country and I and I think we managed to we I wasn't around obviously but I think my 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 family managed to avoid much of the air raid because we were right in the middle of the countryside but we weren't that far away from Birmingham and Coventry which I and mean, Coventry was absolutely destroyed with with german bombing um, because it was it was an industrial centre, if you if you like, and Birmingham and, and Coventry. Coventry Cathedral is perhaps the most well-known building that was nearly completely destroyed by bombing in the Second World War, and it's since been restored um, and reshaped because of the bombing. So, Coventry Cathedral now is is a mix, if I remember right, of kind of new contemporary architecture built with the traditional old Gothic type architecture okay. to to rebuild the 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 cathedral but so where we were right in the centre Nottingham Leicester, Derbyshire Loughborough I don't remember an awful lot of stories about that part of the world being bombed uh, it was a huge mining community um, and, I, and, and my grandad Herbert Matchett and my dad is is called it was named Thomas Herbert Matchett but it was always referred to by his dad, my granddad, as son, he was always son Matchett. Um, but Herbert Matchett, my granddad, worked down the mines for a while. And my dad worked in the mining world, but not actually down in the mines. He worked driving the coal around in trucks in lorries lorries we call them in england trucks in in america um with the sacks of coal for delivery yeah and i the one the one the only thing my dad absolutely insisted on as far as my career was concerned he says i don't really mind within reason what you do (laughs) but you will not work down the mines you will not become a miner um he'd seen all that terrible the, the the dust and the and the lung disease that was caused through mining and, and I can remember he was a young kid a lot of my dad's friends all our family's friends anybody that had connections to the coal mines they were always hacking and coughing and short for breath as a result of the the dust and the and working in the pits yeah so I I can understand. wanted a
1: better life for you yeah, he wanted a better
0: life for me and of course I, you know not of course, but I had no desire to work. I don't
1: don't think you fought him very hard on that. I wouldn't say, No,
0: but it was, it was very much um, a family, not a family business, but it was very much a, if your dad worked in the pits, son worked in the pits and that's how it was for generations and had been for generations. So it wouldn't have been at all unusual. And some of my school friends most definitely did work down the pits. Yeah, they did do that, but uh,
1: I, I I managed to avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually, the way, you know, with me being born when I was, I was actually witness to more dads ending his career. Okay. Because we we uh, we've talked about it before. When we re- he retired, we moved to Florida. Well, he was yeah. you know, a nuclear engineer at that time. Yeah. But you got to think, you know, it was we he retired when I was. Uh, about 11. Okay. Um, so all those years, you know, I knew he went to a job, but, you know, as you're a little kid, you just, you know, don't pay much attention to what it is. But, yeah. And really, he didn't talk talk all that much about it. What's he going to do? Come talk to us about these very minute scientific and, uh, you know, precision things at the dinner table. Not right. really, you right. know. And on, honestly, a lot of the stuff was top secret. You know, he's working at the Oak Ridge Nuclear Facility. There's many, many things that he could never have talked about, yeah. and then some later in the years that you know kind of got declassified. Obviously, you could. Gosh, what a
0: fascinating career your dad had.
1: I think so. Yeah. I think there's a, a lot that, uh, a lot of stories that went, went, went with him when he passed. But uh, so he was he was doing that. So I saw him, you know, kind of in the career and retire, and you know, we we moved to Florida and all that. And they kind of you know lived a, kind of a pretty quiet life. Yeah. And, you know, other than me. <laughs> Stirring things up occasionally. <laughs> Fortunately, I was pretty good. I didn't give him much trouble. But, you know, they just kind of did their thing. And, and really, you know, one of mom's comments, you know, I even heard her say this. She's like, what am I going to do with him, you know, now that he's retired? Right. And it, it wasn't too long at all. We were down there. And he ended up connecting with a couple other guys his age, I'm kind of in retirement. And they just started doing little projects for people. You know, they would. I think I mentioned this. You know, on another one, uh, construction probably the DIY, projects. Probably our DIY. Thing, yeah, right. That they right, would. They would right, get in, yeah. and that kept him busy. And he got into a routine. He he'd meet at the little uh, donut coffee shop with some friends. You know, maybe each morning. You know, and yeah. kind of. They and he was such an early bird too that, uh, you know, they were done with that before most people were kind of really stirring, and then he's like off to do whatever during the day. So I'm guessing, and do
0: please correct me if I'm wrong, but because of the. Because of Dad's age, when you
1: arrived, did you have any knowledge
0: of grandparents at all?
1: Well, yeah, actually, it goes on one side, though. Dad's dad died young in his 50s, so he was many, many years gone when I came along. And his mother was still alive, and actually the house that we were living in, Dad designed, uh, and they'd been there a good number of years, and he designed it with an attached apartment. Okay. So his mother lived in that apartment when I was born and she only lived until i was about sometime in my one first year Uh, after after being one probably one to two time i think she passed away i'd have to ask my sister and i have a just one memory and that's pretty that's pretty far back to have one but i have one memory of crawling and looking up and seeing her in her doorway and that's absolutely it yeah there's obviously some pictures you know of her even holding me as a baby and stuff like that um they always said that she was very excited that uh, I did come along because I, I can carry the family name on. Yeah, but since I've had the one daughter, so I kind of you got a gener- you got one generation out of it, but that's kind of where it looks like it's going to end.
0: Well, I but. feel the I feel the same way. I mean, I am the last of the line uh, in my family, and uh, you know, from our branch of the Matchett family tree, it will it will end with me. Um, I have no children. And so, yeah, it will come to an end. It's very odd. It's an odd feeling, isn't it? Sometimes on those, you know, I I feel it now um, as I'm approaching 60. I I feel that sense of loss more than I ever have done in the past. Also, perhaps because my life is slowing down and changing. And really, from the day that I started work, when I was... 16 17 I haven't really stopped until the last 18 months or so so Mm. I I was so busy doing other things I never really stopped to think of what was missing in my life really and um so yeah the 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 magic name will will end with me but I ask about your your grandparents because um I can I have a one or two memories of my granddad on my dad's side. No memories whatsoever of grandparents on mum's side at all. And I can remember my granddad, who was a real character. I mean, even as a very young kid, I can remember thinking, gosh, granddad's quite the eccentric. Um, and he was fascinated with horses. It would be nothing unusual. I can remember mum and dad talking about this, that it would be nothing unusual for my granddad to wander off into the countryside for a couple of weeks and just do his thing you know and then come back as if nothing had happened and he definitely had that wanderlust that my dad also had to a degree and it was also passed down to me that desire to always explore and I say he had a fascination for horses this is more of a this is more of an educated guess than the known fact on my part, but I, I get a very strong feeling that Grandad was the first in my family to really settle down and not be a traveller. Gotcha. I sense that you know because I can remember Dad having my Grandad having property, and I remember the property being there was always horses there, and when I say horses, I don't mean it. They were they were not. Um, equestrian sporting horses. They were dray horses and they were horses that travelers had to pull caravans. And every year, granddad and my dad would go to the Appleby Horse Fair up in the north of England in Cumbria, which was a big celebration and a gathering of traveling people. And there would be endless horse trading and horse running events up up in Cumbria, Appleby. And, gentle listener, if you're unaware of the Appleby Horse Fair, um, the Internet is our friend here. Just type in Appleby Horse Fair, A-double-P-L-E-B-Y, Appleby, in Cumbria, and there are thousands of pictures of uh, the horses being washed in the river with washing up liquid and riding the horses through the river to clean them, and the beautiful ornate caravans and all of that. That was, and I feel that that was that was a, a part of my family tree's line that was just coming to an end with granddad. Uh-huh. dad had it a little bit and i i all the, you know i feel a slight connection to that lifestyle but it's manifested in me kevin in this way i believe i was thinking about this not so long ago actually I have a photograph of my granddad in the kitchen standing by a horse, as you know, yes, near, the, yep, near the fridge. And I was looking at it the other day and thinking about this wanderlust. And, um, well, the proof of that putting to me is we're here today. I'm in, I'm now an American in North America having this conversation with you. But I started off life as many will know in england and i lived in england for many years but when that w- when that opportunity arrived for me to be able to work with banneton and work with a team of like-minded souls that were traveling the world i instantly went to it like it was it was there was no question of wow I'm, i'll be away from home for so long do i want this there was no question of that yes that's the that's the life i want and then after that when the possibility of moving to france arrived I was in France instantly yep done with England go to France let's enjoy you know an adventure in France and the same way as soon as the possibility of would you like to come and work and live in the States appeared I took the opportunity and here we are you know so I, I feel that's buried deep in DNA this idea of What's the next adventure? Yeah. Let's go and do the next thing. Is is within me, definitely. Yeah. yeah.
1: And there's still many people that never travel twenty miles radius from their home their whole entire lives. I mean, we're all you're still, we're all yeah, the other end of that spectrum. Yeah, so. we're we're all different. But
0: I I I'm a big believer in in that. I think these things are, in a way, inexplicable. But they are they are buried from in, in our DNA chain from centuries and
1: centuries and centuries of DNA being passed through. Yeah. Yeah. What time of uh, what time of the year were they having this the apple the appleby horse fair? It would be traditionally it was June. It was and yes, in England it wasn't too hot at that. And well, we,
0: you know, English English summers never. I mean, the, the weather is changing slightly now, as we all know. But uh, back in the back in my childhood in the sixties and seventies, we never really had
1: incredibly hot summers exactly, in England.
0: Yeah, summers were always if you if you got to 74, 75 degrees in England. That was about it, and no real problem with humidity. That sounds perfect. Yes, it was wonderful. So yes, it was a great, it was a great cultural event, a great gathering, and I can remember um, a couple of occasions when I was very young. My dad took me to Appleby Horse Fair with my granddad, and there was one time um, when granddad and my dad wanted to go and have a beer in the pub down near the River Eden, where the horses were being washed. And children weren't allowed in the pub back then. Um, and so there was a group, a family, sat. they were sat on the side of the road with one of these wonderful, ornate caravans and a horse box where they, they had their horses in. And my dad knew the family, he knew them, and my granddad knew them. And he said, I can remember him saying like, would you look after the kid while we go down and have a beer in the pub and they said yeah we, we know you we know who you are absolutely he'll be safe with us don't worry and I can remember sitting at this campfire while, while, while they were cooking in a big skillet frying pan fried eggs and bacon and I can remember they gave me some eggs and bacon and I, I can only have been f- I'm thinking five or six you know very young yeah. I didn't know who these wow. people were but I got an instant sense of um, security from them they were going to take care of me, and they knew they knew my family, and my family knew their family, and that was all the bond of trust that was needed. And then after dinner, having had these eggs and bacon cooked on the campfire, um, I was. They said to me, "Go and go and put your head down in the, in the horse box. We've got some fresh hay in there. Go 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 for a sleep in the horse box, and then your dad and granddad will come and pick you up later." And sure enough, I, I'm guessing it was about 10 o'clock at night. They came back and collected me, and off we went. Yeah, curious, a curious yes, thing. Is. But there was a, I say this story, re- relate this story, because A, it's always stayed with me, but also i got a very strong sense of the bond between families, that they knew us and we knew them somehow. And that, that was obviously lost to me. I didn't really know who they were, but there was a great sense of security and and loyalty there. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny too, looking back at, you know, but again, by the time... You know, I was, you know, of, of age to even really notice anything. Mom and dad had, you know, quite slowed down and stuff like that. But you, you look back or hear stories and see, see the photos that they were pretty active in their younger days. Right. Um, there's plenty of photos. Again, we they were all, you know, Knoxville, Tennessee. And there's many pictures of them in Daytona Beach. And they they would pile up and go in these old convertible Chevys, you know, in the 40s and I guess yeah. 40s, 50s, and go down and watch the motorcycle races on Daytona Beach. and. Spend the spend the time down there with a, you know another couple or something like that. They'd all four pile in this you know four or not four, but Dad was always Chevys. It seemed like yeah. But uh, and I, there's pictures of them at Daytona with these. And you know Dad was a we've talked about this before. He was a big motorcyclist. from, yes. from his younger days. And uh, so he would always you know in his early twenties have a have a nice Indian bike or something like that. You know I've mean, already had some Harleys at some point and. Yeah, one one by any means a biker. Bikers didn't exist. I mean, it was you were just a motorcyclist yeah. back then. Yeah, sure, I get that. Yeah, a long for those days. Yeah, but,
0: uh, but of course he had that great mechanical knowledge and therefore an interest in the technology is as fundamental as he was back then. Yeah, but in, yeah. in the restoration of those bikes would have been fascinating.
1: Yeah, well, of course, yeah, they were they were somewhat a few years old, so yeah. <laughs> they didn't need they need maintenance. They didn't need restoration. Yeah. but I'm sure he did. You know, come across some old things now and again. Maybe his early cars and stuff you know he tinkered together and stuff like that because he was always you know having different cars and stuff through the years and again it just seemed like he was always in General Motors cars from what I can tell from pictures and stories and stuff but
0: it's easy to it's easy to forget or perhaps overlook how many literally millions of miles were driven and ridden on technology from that time period they weren't sophisticated electronics on board the ignition systems would have been a coil and 6 or 12 volts and um, contact points and condensers. and But if they were maintained, they would they would run for thousands of miles without any
1: problem. Yeah, yeah we kind of and overlooked a, a that. a fairly you. sorted toolbox can get you pretty much everything you needed right. on the side of the road. Yeah, I mean, these days, these days, you know... <laughs> It's an
0: awful thing to say, but you know these days, if your onboard computer fails, there's nothing you can do about it. Nope. You know you've got to take it to the dealer, you've got to hook it up to their computer system, and you know you're more than likely going to have to replace the onboard computer for x thousands of dollars. I'm not, I'm not I don't want to say anything bad about the motor trade. That's just how the motor trade is these days. But um, you c- you can't, to a large extent, repair cars on the side of the road any longer. There isn't the facility to do it. The cars don't allow it to happen. No. But back then. Um I remember an old an old work colleague of mine at Benetton saying many, many years ago, um, there is no reason to break down at the side of the road. If you've just got a few fundamental tools with you and some rope, you should be able to get the car back on the road again. And I always remember that I think, you know, Andy, you're absolutely right. That's true,
1: yeah. yeah. and it's still know. some confidence in you, you know. Yeah. Too so. But you know, Dad used to always kinda have his his routines and stuff like that. And you know, when I was younger I remember he always liked to be up on Saturday mornings, and he was just an early bird. Anyway. Okay. And Saturday mornings, he would get out and, and go run run around and do errands and see yeah. people and stuff. And, yeah. you know, it was usually a 50-50 whether or not I'd go because this was also prime, you know, uh, cartoon time. <laughs> we discussed on Saturday morning shows back in sure. the day that uh, I could hunker down with a bowl of cereal and be there for hours. Yeah. But, you know. There's many times I would hop in and go with him, and I should have done more. Yeah. You know, we always look back. And of course
0: we, we do. Yeah. But
1: he would he would uh, go by the Honda motorcycle shop and you know talk to those guys and hang out. And they had those uh, oh they just I was, this is a vivid memory. They kick or uh, just launch those kind of kick and go scooters. Yes. They They're little yep. you know, hand scooter. They had that little button lever over the back wheel. You'd press. that would make the wheels go. Yep. And they'd let me you know play with one of those. I Always wanted one. I was like I'm not buying one of those, but. <laughs> <laughs> I like those, and you know they—they'd let me sit on the motorcycles and stuff, and or we'd just run whatever errands yeah. or be out and about, and sometimes grab breakfast or something like that. The other vivid memory—and this wasn't certainly every week, but you know, lots of times we'd go by Kmart, and he'd let me pick out a Hot Wheel.
0: Wow, that's and cool. That's
1: just—you know—it happened enough times to where it became kind of a tradition. Yeah, you know, again, it wasn't—I'm sure—every every weekend, obviously, but. Uh, you know, I always have those memories of him doing that. You
0: know, that yeah, was fun. Yeah, so. What memory One memory I have of, of Dad, and again, I like you, and I'm sure like all of us, we all wish that we'd had more interaction with parents uh, before it was too late, but that's that's the way life plays out. And, and, and unfortunately for me, I, my Dad died relatively early. I was in 19 when Dad died. So I, I was just getting to the point of my maturity that we could have started to have adult conversations. But as a kid growing up in England, and all, all my school friends can will relate the same story, we were almost taught not to talk to our parents. who was just yes, no, and keep quiet, and don't make a fuss. But um, one memory I do have, uh, which I cherish of dad, was he taught me to play chess. And we played many games of chess but I think this is a trait that he picked up from Grandad. If, if if, the game got to the point where he was appearing threatened by my pieces, all of a sudden the board would mysteriously end up on the floor, Like
1: <laughs> he would nudge. beyond your control. He would, he would nudge the
0: table. <laughs> he would nudge the table with his knee. He had a little, a little t- I mean, a tiny little table, like 18 inches across that we used to play chess on. And, and, by accident the chess pieces end up on the floor and that would be the end of the game but one day i do remember the first time that i actually beat him at chess and it was one of those father-son moments when i remember him saying like wow you know you've i want to say you're taking your first step into a much larger world that was too much but it's like i've 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 taught you all i can about chess you're now you're now able to beat me and i just remember that thinking gosh
1: what a moment you know yeah, really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, my dad would occasionally, especially I, this is obviously probably more, more in the summertime because of it staying lighter later. After we always had dinner pretty much at 5:30 sharp. We were very regimented about that. And right. We, um, so we always had a lot of time afterwards. So I do remember occasionally going out and tossing the ball back and forth. Yeah. Uh, dad loved as, as a young man. He loved baseball. I mean, that was you got to think there was a lot less things to focus on sure. back then. It was probably right. better. You, know, you yeah. know, now you have a thousand channels and everybody's into this. Yeah. But, all kids pretty much all boys back then. I mean, it's not being sexist, it's what they did. Sure, you know, sure, sure, sure Most boys were into baseball. Yeah. And they loved to play it on sandlots lots and stuff like that or wherever they could. He he was wasn't skilled enough to, you know, be on on a team or anything. He loved, he liked football and stuff, but his his definitely size wasn't anywhere near what he could have played football. Right. And uh, he did focus on tennis. I think we mentioned it a couple of times here before it you know, as a young man he was a tennis champion or a city yeah. tennis champion. And yeah. I I think he very well could have been a pro, but he so your dad you is, have to work. You can't be a pro foot, or a pro athlete back then. Your, is your job?
0: Your dad is a, is, a, is a tennis champion and a nuclear scientist. Yeah, he did
1: some interesting things. <laughs> That's some impressive stuff, Mr. Field, and I've got to tell you. Well, and let's let's. Since we're on that, we'll go back. I think we may have mentioned this before. He was the mar as a little kid. Nah, I'm not sure how. Little. Let's say he was 11, 12. He was the marbles champion, playing the game of marbles. You know, he was a skilled marble champion. Again, how many kids play? How many kids know how to play marbles these days? Very few. I'd have I'm to review the review. You know, I have a basic idea, yeah. but I would certainly have to go to the internet and read the rules before I started playing. Yeah, yeah. maybe there's an app for that these days. You can download it. It'd be great. To there's probably things. some uh, Facebook subculture of <laughs> you know, marble players yeah. of the of the U.S. or something like that. But uh, he always liked that kind of stuff. But and. Uh, I wish you know he he'd actually you know did he did play tennis with me or something like that but you know it wasn't that he wouldn't come out and do stuff we throw the frisbee sometimes yeah um, there's a basketball hoop up the street it, it was funny it wasn't in somebody's driveway they mounted it on the street we lived on a dead end street so okay. we didn't have a lot of traffic okay, anyway sure. yeah but whoever had that home yeah, that's cool mounted it on the street so you could just come up there and yeah toss the ball but inevitably you'd miss it and go behind it and down the hill a little bit and I'd have to go chasing it but. Uh, we did those kind of things, and, and you know usually those evenings after dinner, yeah, you know many nights he would settle into the easy chair, read the paper. He didn't care much for, for TV. Mom did, so it was always okay. in the same den. But right. he was too busy reading uh, the paper, or he liked Popular Mechanics magazine, or Smithsonian magazine, or National yeah. Geographic. Oh, yeah, and there was other other evenings where he'd go down in the base. We had a uh, fully f- pretty much finished basement with actually a den area but then more of an area that was just basic concrete and he had a workbench in there and stuff like that and would be tinkering around with some some project, yeah. you know. And I still remember being down there just running around doing whatever. We had a ping pong table and I'd be, you know, doing something under it and the dog, the, the beagle we had, Skippy would be in the corner somewhere with a ham bone <laughs> gnawing on it and, you know, just yeah, fun good. little things until it kind of got to be, time to settle back upstairs for a while. Yeah. My dad,
0: uh, I'm sure we've mentioned this before, but my, my dad's passion, it, well, beyond, beyond his love of horses and, and being outside, which is, you know, the, the horse thing is never really translated to me, um, but, but the being outside thing is most definitely translated to me, and that, that's, that's part of my DNA as well. But one of my dad's great passions was carpentry. He liked to make things. Um, he was very practical. He was a practical chap. Um, but he he had an he had a he had a desire to work with wood, and he made chessboards and he made bookcases and he made little tables that sort of thing. And that and that's something again we've talked about it that I I'd still enjoy now is working with wood, and I'm sure that came from from that. Yeah. But my career as a mechanic uh, and in engineering is something that most definitely did not come from dad. And, and the idea of motorsport uh, to dad was was a non-starter. He, he, he had absolutely no patience whatsoever for anything to do with motorsport. He just considered it a silly waste of money that you would buy a car and drive around in circles with a very high possibility of, of crashing it. Like, what, why, would anybody do, yeah. why would anybody do that? Where's the logic That's, in that? Where's the logic in that? Well, you know, as all sons must rebel from their parents, of course, I had to end up working in motor racing. It was almost inevitable. But, uh, I like to think he would be proud of what I've managed to achieve I in life. I think he would be very proud. But we never know, do we, as we look back in life. But, yes, it's interesting. Um, I guess we need to think about wrapping up this little conversation. But it is interesting to f- to, to follow the lineage of our families and your situation and mine, thinking that we've kind of come to the end of the line.
1: All the centuries of, of, of family that have gone before. Yeah. And I think it gives you a good sense of you and kind of your, your place and you know, kind of your obligation anyway. When you really study your ancestors and yeah. stuff like that, you kind of feel a responsibility to them to, to do important things in this well, world.
0: I, I feel without any doubt that, that your, all of your ancestors, all of your family would be very proud of what you've done, what you've achieved in life because you are a thoroughly decent chap. And there's a lot to be said for that. Well, I appreciate that. There's a lot to be said for that. So if all that has happened before has led to your position in the world and the lessons that you give to your daughter and the way that you interact with people, it is most definitely all been worth it. Um, Life is a life. The secret of life is that it comes to an end and you've got to make the best use of the time that's given to you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, gentle listener. Well, it was fun. Well, very good. Yeah. Very good good yeah. suggestion from our listeners. Yeah. so uh, Join us again for a, another
1: episode of Match It and the Other Guy. Bye for now. Bye for now as well. Very good.